0: With this morning, if you got your Bibles, open it with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to be taking a break from 2 Peter. We've been doing an expositional study through 2 Peter and spitting this week that we, that we pause that study and look at God's Word in 2 Timothy as we. Remember and think about God and His mercy and His grace, allowing us to minister to Him three years here in Kings Mountain and uh, surrounding towns that we've been able to infect, infect with the gospel. And uh, so, we want to. What I want us to do this morning, just just basically, is just remember why we are here, and to remind ourselves of what God has given us to do. And so if you've got 2 Timothy 4 verse 1 found in your Bible, stand with me to your feet. Out of reverence to God's Word, brothers and sisters, this is God's Word. 2 Timothy 4 beginning in verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by His appearing and His kingdom Always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of evangelists. Fulfill your ministry. So God, we are your people that have gathered to, to hear from you. This is your word. Thank you, Lord, that you have taken the pressure off of me of any need this morning for me to be creative. You have told me today, preach the Word. So Lord, help us all to understand what it is, the ministry, that You have given to us. Grant us sober minds and To hear, to receive, and to apply your word in Jesus' name. You can be seated. So I challenge you just for a minute just to look at verse 5. At the end of the sentence, the last three words. Fulfill your ministry. So the question is, what is your ministry? I mean, one of my brother's corrected me a week or so ago and I appreciated it so much when he says, you know, you preachers use that word a lot. Well, is the call to ministry only for the paid pastor? That's what he was asking me. What does the word ministry mean in, for me? And so... I want to think about that today as our three-year anniversary looking forward. But let's first remember the context that we find ourselves in in 2 Timothy. Remember, Timothy was most likely converted during Paul's first missionary journey. And on his second missionary journey back through, through Lystra, he runs into Timothy. Timothy is growing in his faith, and he invites him to accompany him. And so Timothy was discipled by Paul. And then he was sent to pastor a troubled church in Ephesus. And so this young pastor finds out that he has inherited not only a ministry, but a ministry that had problems. The question is, was it all on Timothy? Is it just Timothy that was supposed to take care of what's going on here and deal with the issues and make sure that the word is being proclaimed? Turn with me to 2 Timothy 2. I want you to look at verse 2. Verse 2. 2 Timothy 2, verse 2 says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We call this discipleship. It's what he said. He said, Paul has invested his life into Timothy, and then he deploys him. And what does he say? What I have taught you, what you have seen and what you have heard, this message now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to entrust that to faithful men and they must make sure that they're entrusting it to others. So yes, pastors and elders must preach the word. But what we are commanded to do this morning is to equip you to carry the word to others. And when you carry the word to others, your calling, your ministry is to make sure that they carry it to others. This is the way the gospel grows and multiplies throughout the world. This is discipleship. Learn, teach, reproduce. So what's at stake this morning? We've been looking at this a lot in 2 Peter. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there this morning. But I do want you to see verses 3 and 4. What's at stake in fulfilling your ministry? For the time is coming, 2 Timothy 4 verse 3, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves, teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth, and wander into myths. What's at stake? The sound a teaching of God's Word is at stake. A pure and natural handling of His Word. That's what's at stake. G.K. Chesterton Chesterton can't say his name, said it best this way. He who does not believe in God will believe in anything. So how do we keep ourselves? Many of us have been here for the last three years in the ministry and can testify to how hard it is. It has been. It's been good, but it's been hard. It's what Timothy feels. Has he. How's he going to stay with it? Timothy at times wants to quit. To go back home. It's too hard. How do we keep our focus when people aren't responding? How do we keep our focus when people, the very people who should love us oppose us? How's Timothy going to deal with this? Timothy was struggling with the same thing we're struggling. Serving God's people is hard. Living for Christ cost us something. No one's going to pat you on the back when you evangelize. No one's going to cheer you when you live out the hard reality of the gospel in your actual life before people who are opposing you. How do we keep our focus? Here's what he does in verse 1. We must remember the witness that grounds our ministry. I charge you, verse 1, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing of His kingdom. So what is he doing here? He's he's using his apostolic authority. We've talked about that in 2 Peter. He says, I'm testifying to you. I'm warning you. Remember. Remember that we live and we labor in the presence of a triune God for which we are accountable. That's how he grounds him. He summons Timothy into the presence of a majestic father. Remember, Timothy, with all the heart, and with all the problems, and with all the opposition, remember, But Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 20, to tired and frustrated, confused, his disciples, and he's leaving them. He gives them, says, go make disciples of all nations. Not a small task right before your master leaves. What does he say in verse Matthew 28, 20? I am with you. We live and we labor in the presence of God. Listen, we do not live and labor for the approval of man. And listen to me this morning. We don't live and labor for the approval of God for we always already have it in Christ Jesus. We live and labor from that approval that Christ purchased for us. Remember that, Timothy. We live in the presence of God. We labor in His presence. Not for the approval of those who oppose us. So then he gives them seven essentials to to a fulfilled ministry that he reminds them of. And really there's just one. There's one primary. The rest of them just explain the primary. So what's the primary? Number one, preach the Word. This is the primary imperative of this text. Preach the Word. He's already set this up. In 2 Timothy 3, verses 16-17. to Look at it with me. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable, this is important, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good word. So he tells them, preach. What does that mean? Proclaim. Proclaim it. Proclaim the Logos. Look at this. All Scripture is breathed out by God. So the Logos gives us the Logos. Preach the Logos. Proclaim it. Listen, the word preach doesn't imply just an ordained minister that stands behind a pulpit. It means proclaim God's Word. This means publicly. Whether a mass gathers, this means individually. Proclaim it. Proclaim the message. What is he proclaiming? Acts 20, 27, Paul says that I didn't shrink back from declaring you to what? The whole gospel. But this whole gospel has a center. So Let's look at it. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. We declare, we proclaim the whole counsel of God. But that counsel always has a center. The center is the very gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3 says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Timothy, this is the center of the message that you must proclaim. Christ came on earth Took on flesh and he lived a perfect life. He, he died for our sins just like God's word said he would. And he was buried physically, and he was raised on the third day physically, and he ascended physically, and one day the king, the judge of all the earth is coming back. And so we must call people to repent and believe in this gospel. Timothy preach the word. And so he says the second essential begins to tell him how he's supposed to proclaim the Word. How is he supposed to preach the Word? Look at this. he mo- Timothy, you must be ready. Be ready. This is another active imperative. It means to be alert, to be persistent. This is an offensive posture. You must be ready. Why does he tell him this? Because we, like Timothy, are naturally lazy and timid. Gotta be reminded, you gotta be ready. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. Look at what he tells Timothy. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Why do you need to be reminded of that? Why does Timothy need to be reminded? Because Timothy, like us, has to be reminded that you've got a spirit, Timothy. And it doesn't function in the fear of man. You've got a spirit that functions in power, love, and self-control. It's a sound mind. We're going to see that in just a minute. But look at what it says. Be ready in season and out of season. What does that mean? You know what it literally means? Convenient or inconvenient. This is how. When do you and when do I proclaim the gospel? Whether it's convenient or not. Whether you have time for it or whether you don't. Whether it is comfortable or uncomfortable. We must be ready. This is how. Brothers and sisters, if you have no time to be on God's mission We don't have just a life-busy problem. We have a word problem. We must be ready. We must be alert. We must be teachable. Third essential. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. He says that necessarily the way you proclaim the word must include correction, Rebuking and encouraging. This is what God's Word does. But there's a double-sided coin to discipleship, isn't there? Good teachers must be teachable. In other words, you don't have the right to reprove somebody in God's Word if that that Word hasn't reproved you. This is the very reason that, that Paul has written Timothy a letter. To repuve him. To rebuke him in some ways. But to encourage him. Preach the word. This is itself what he is telling him that he must do. Gospel proclamation always corrects. This is what I mean by that. This word reprove means to reveal. It means as we sit under gospel proclamation. And as we proclaim the gospel to other people, it's going to reveal their sin. This is why we live in community with each other. We live in community with each other because we love each other, but because also we know by living in community with gospel as the center, it's going to flip over our sin. And so in love, we are supposed to be with the word correcting each other. This is first level church discipline begins with you loving your brothers and sisters, living each other in light of God's word, and let it correct. That's what it does. It corrects. It rebukes. This is warning. It means to warn someone. Thought about that this week. I've been married for 23 years, and you couldn't fill up the state of North Carolina with all the mistakes me and Christina's made. We've made so many mistakes before we met, during the met, and we can't even get to church. Without, without making a mistake. and So what have we looked back on? We've looked back and said, I wish I would have known that. I wish I would have believed it. I wish I would have obeyed it. How can we, who know this truth, not warn other people who are fixing to step into the very things you stepped into? We warn them. We don't warn them with our opinions. We warn them with God's Word. Also must encourage that word means paraclete. It means it must come alongside of you. It strengthens you. That's what God's word is supposed to do. Listen, if God's word that you've heard all your life is only reproving and it's only rebuking, and it doesn't encourage you haven't been hearing God's word, God's word is meant to say, "Not only will I reveal your sin, but I will walk with you to completeness in Christ." That's what it means to be a Christian what it means to disciple someone. We must, our gospel proclamation must include this. And if it doesn't, we must ask ourselves, are we really proclaiming the gospel? Because this is what the word does. And we must do it in a particular manner. This is important. It says with, look at verse 2. We do these things with complete patience and teaching. And this is really two things. That the manner by which we proclaim God's Word is done as a sound teacher and as also a patient. one. In other words, this this is important. That our correcting and our warning and our encouragement is not based on my opinion. It's based on His Word. And if it is not, it is not worth speaking. We proclaim encouragement when we bring God's Word to bear in people's life and we do it from sound biblical teaching, not our opinions. Our ministry flows from a right understanding of God's Word. And yet, we must make this correction. We must... Make that which is profitable comes from reproving and rebuking and correcting and encouraging through God's word, but it must be done with patience, must be done with gentleness. Turn with me to 1 Peter three fifteen. Many of you, if you've ever heard uh, John MacArthur preach, you know he preaches rather directly, straightforward. You have to wonder what he's talking about when he's talking, or even who he's talking to. He said this one time. He said, When I stand behind the pulpit, I preach boldly, directly, and clearly. But when I step over here and I sit down with a hurting brother and sister, I impart that word with patience and gentleness as a good shepherd would. So this is what we see in 1 Peter 3.15 when it says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy Always be prepared. That's the word, be ready. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet, what? Do it how? With gentleness and respect. We must cease and stop all this ridiculous, unfruitful, stuff that's going on in social media. If you cannot give a reason for the hope that's within you with gentleness and respect, best to keep your mouth shut. Because you cause damage to the cause of Christ, not help it. It is simply your flesh standing up on a bully pulpit and telling someone off. That is not what we're called to do. It's not. It's called that we bring correction and encouragement and rebuking. With a sound teaching and with gentleness and patience. It takes time to see people grow to completion in Christ. It takes patience. And we must be a patient people. Listen to this Christian reproof, quote, Christian reproof without the grace of long suffering has often led to a harsh, censorious attitude intensely harmful to the cause of Christ. Guthrie goes on to say, to but to rebuke. Without instruction is to leave the root cause of error untouched. In other words, to help people only with our opinions is to simply put a band-aid over cancer. So what's at stake? I've already said this in verse 3 or 4. The purity of the gospel is at stake. The purity of his words is at stake. And so he tells Timothy, even gets more intense now. He said, but as for you, look at verse 5. As for you, now he's dealing directly with something that's going on, the present needs and the situation in his life. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. And so, we see the fifth essential is, Timothy, keep your head. That's what it means to be sober-minded. In other words, young Timothy, amongst all the Conflict and all the opposition that's going on. Hard to stay calm. He's sitting there going, Timothy, stay alert. Be ready. But calm down. Because you can't give a reason for the hope that's within you. You can't declare the gospel if you're on the defensive when Christ tells us we must be on the offensive. I wrestled in high school and that was one of the things they always told us. If the guy can get you angry, you have lost. Because you will quit what? Thinking. So that was always my what was my first move? I'm gonna to try to make the guy mad at me. I'm trying to get him mad. I don't want him to think. Thinking's gonna get us in trouble. This is what he's saying. Stay calm. What is he supposed to stay calm under? Well think about the context. He's under opposition. And opposition brings suffering. So what he says, endure suffering, Timothy. Stay calm in the face of opposition. Stay calm when ministry necessarily brings suffering. He's already warned him it does. 2 Timothy 1.8. Remember if you told him no. God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a Sound mind, he says in verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Being redeemed, brothers and sisters, comes with a cross. And it's a privilege to carry. it. it. Tells Timothy, don't be ashamed. Calm down. Because in our calmness, through our suffering, and precisely because of our suffering, we get an opportunity to declare the gospel. Doesn't Timothy know this from firsthand experience? Remember, he's traveled with him, he's lived life with Paul. I ask you, I ask you this morning, which do you think he learned more from when? Paul, when they would walk into a city and they would be a good group of people that would repent and they'd establish a church and everybody's giving each other high fives or when they stoned him almost to death and Paul gets back up and says, let's go back in town. I'm not done yet. Or when he got lashed or when he was hungry or when he was shipwrecked and yet he stayed on the mission. Timothy knew this. When Paul told it to him, he knew it because Paul had modeled it for him. Keep your mind, why? Six essential, we must do the work of an evangelist. We must. Ephesians 4.11, I want you to see this. Ephesians 4.11 and 12. Ephesians 4.11 says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Now look at verse 12 to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So I ask you, if someone who is an evangelist equips you, what are they going to equip you to do? Evangelize. Do you see that? The evangelist is not the only one evangelizing. He's going to equip you to evangelize. This is the whole point of the Great Commission in the whole book of Acts, that evangelism it's not relegated to those with an or, that's ordained or those with a title. It is the calling of everyone who is born again. Do the work of evangelism. In verse 7, he says, Timothy, fulfill your ministry. In other words, complete your duty. You see, he's hearkening back to verse 1 with this. He has a kingliness in mind. We live in the presence of, of a king. So Timothy. Your king has given, given you a calling. Fulfill your duty. Don't quit. Ministry is service to your king. That's what it is. This word has nothing to do about a paid position. It is a calling that comes with Christ's holy name being given to us. He gives us as our king, a calling. And it is clear, we are called to fill to the brim those things He has called us to do. Discharge, Timothy, all of your duties. Quote, Christians have no alternative plan for carrying out God's work other than declaring the gospel. This is your calling. It's my calling. This is our calling. It's why we're here. No other way to carry out God's work other than declaring the gospel. How are we going to do it? How is Parkwood Kings Mountain going to equip the saints for the work of ministry? I just want to remind us, not only what we have done, but what we must continue to do. So turn back with me, if you may still have it, Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. And I want to read this very carefully. For well, the Bible informs us what we must do. And he gave, verse 11, And he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. What is that going to do? For building up of the body of Christ. How long? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Verse 15. Rather, this is what we must do. Speaking the truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, for, for whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So much here, but don't look missed, verse 13. The word unity and the word maturity. Verse 16 says that we are supposed to be joined together, working properly. So what's at stake in our equipping? Why is this so important for me and for you this morning? Because God's church is to work in unity properly. And it will not if we individually aren't equipped. This is what we are called to do. And so why do we, as Parkwood, when you join us, we have expectations. They are to worship, to study, to serve, to give and to live. Why is that? Because if these things are not happening in your life, you're not going to grow to maturity. That's why they're expectations. If you don't gather regularly to worship, your growth is going to be affected. If you don't plug into a growth group and study God's Word with other believers, your growth is going to be affected. If you don't serve God's people, you are going to be stunted in your growth and become a selfish Christian. If you don't see giving as simply an act of generosity that someone cannot stop you from doing, you will not grow. And if you don't live out the effects of that which you are teaching, you will not become a believer. You will simply become a hypocrite. This is why this is important. We believe solidly, that we grow to maturity through gathering to glorify our God. We believe that we grow to maturity through sound teaching. We believe we grow to maturity as we practice generosity. We don't wait to practice generosity till we reach some level of maturity. We grow to maturity as we practice it. Precisely because we practice it. We grow to maturity as we live in biblical community with each other. It's impossible for me to hide my sin when I'm living in community with you. That's why it's important. We grow to maturity as we go with the gospel to all peoples. This is why the expectations are there. How are we going to do it as Parkwood? We want you to grow through gathering and corporate worship. And listen, this was important for us. The greatest things we've done is having two services. Why? Because everyone worships. It was important for me. Because I had seen it my whole life. Someone stays over there taking care of the children and they don't get to worship their God. It shall not be so. And so now we make sure that if someone is over there taking care of the kids, they're worshiping with their families in the next service. This is what we must all do. Our equipping is at stake here, our worship to our God is at stake. And what are we going to do when we're here? We're going to expositionally preach His Word. We're going to read it. We're not gonna talk about it. We're gonna read it. We're gonna proclaim it one verse at a time, one word at a time till Jesus comes. And Pastor Micah's commitment is to throughout the week, he's not picking out music based off what people want to hear. He's not picking out music because what's trending right now. He's looking for gospel-saturated, Christ-exalting worship. And that's what we sing. That's what we must do. We must gather together so that we can give, whether you give online or whether you give collectively here at the end of the worship. Why? Because we, we have a mission to be about. We are... Running behind on our budget that ends this week, and our budget needs to grow so that we can better equip, and most importantly, so that we can go with the gospel. And listen, we we gather here on worship to serve. This is important because many of us were taught, and it's true that Sunday is our day of rest, and it is, and we praise God for it. But we have missed something, and we need to understand that God has called us to cease our normal labor. And to gather together with His people and labor together with His people for the good of His people and the glory of His name. That is a great privilege. We get the privilege of gathering together to stop how we normally work and to work together and to worship together. We must do that. And for us, gathering on Sunday means that your kids are going to study God's Word. We do it through the Gospel Project because it tells them the whole story of the Bible. Kids are going to study. So we gather through, we grow through gathering, through corporate worship. We also grow through growth groups. It's what we desire for you. This is where you study, and these are the people in whom you live. Our growth groups are off campus for the purpose of putting you in your mission field where God has called you to be. It is to remind us every time we walk outside that there are people in our neighborhoods that are going to hell. to keep us on our mission. It is our growth groups are designed with sermon-based lessons to equip you how to apply the message in your actual life where God has called you to minister. Are you in a growth group? Cause listen, look back with me at Ephesians 4:16. If you're not in a growth group, then your growth and the growth of others is being affected. Look at the text from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint, with which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. So that it builds itself up. And so, what are we? We're part of the body. What must we do? We must be equipped. Why? So the body can work properly. Listen to me, parents. This This is a warning from God's Word. If gathering together consistently... Is optional for you. If attending growth group isn't a priority for you, you can, you can be for sure that it won't even be a, an option for your kids. If you just sometimes come to gather to worship, if you just sometimes if you feel like it, gather together to study God's word, your children will abandon the concept altogether because we are not modeling the gospel in our own families. This is where it begins. It begins with consistency. This is what he's telling Timothy. I know it's hard, but don't give up. You have one mission in life. Proclaim the gospel. And we do it first at home. And here's what's exciting this morning. I want you to hear me. This is exciting. Here's what I want want to see happen. Those whom we study with in our growth groups, those whom we live with and those whom we love, are those... That we must go with. Matthew 28 says go make disciples of all people. And to go together. How is this going to work? Very simply. We pray, we care, and we go. Or we pray, we care, and we send. Here's how this is going to look like. It looks like your growth group adopting a missionary. And we don't adopt them for, to, fu- to finance them. This is what, why we give. We give because it goes to the IMB to support them financially. What are we going to do when we adopt them? We're going to love them. It's hard being a missionary. They live on the other side of the world. They don't get to worship in their, in their mother tongue. They get lonely. They have marriage problems. They have kids. Their kids are... Alone over there. They go, to, they go to school. and We're going to love them. We want to pray for them in the way that some people won't, won't be able to pray for them because they're going to tell us specifically how to pray for them and the people they, they love. So we're going to pray for them. We're going to care about them personally. And then, what has to happen? What's going to have to happen? David knows. You, you, when you care for somebody... What are you going to want to do eventually? You've got, you got to go over there. You've got to grab a hold of them. We're going to pray. We're going to carry and Then we're going to go. And we're going to go to either love and minister to them or to love and minister with them. Every growth group can adopt a missionary. And every growth group can pray earnestly. Sincerely for that ministry, missionary. You can care about them personally. And then you can begin to make plans to go love them and to minister with them. And if you cannot go, then you can send someone who can. Everyone can pray. Everyone can care. Everyone can either go or they can send. This is how we are going to equip the saints. God has called us, brothers and sisters, together to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. Will you fulfill your ministry with us? Romans 15, verse 4. It's on the screen. For whatever was written in former days was written for your instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Receive this blessing today. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. May we be faithful to proclaim the, wor- the Word to the world beginning with where we live. Lord, Your Word is clear. And Your world is hard. So Lord, may we submit to it. May we rejoice in the fact that we live and we labor and we love and we sing in your presence, that we can go nowhere outside of your presence. We can go nowhere outside of your protection. Thank you for your justice that was satisfied in Christ. And thank you that we do not have to carry unforgiveness or anger and bitterness because you we'll one day make all things right. And that's so freeing because we can simply be about our Father's business. Thank you, Christ. Thank you for what a clear picture he was for us to follow. So Lord, I thank you for such a people. ministered with God's Word faithfully. Lord, allow us to grow so that we may go to the world and declare Your Gospel. Now Lord, receive our worship. Your Son has given us right standing before You so that I can talk to You. And now you have given us right standing to be able to stand in honor of your holy name and sing your praises, declare the gospel, and worship to you and to ourselves. Lord, receive our worship now as we stand and sing together this thing.